This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Good afternoon. We're going to go ahead and get started. I want to thank everyone again uh, for coming out. This is part of Hispanic Heritage Month here at Moraine Valley Community College. And this is a panel discussion um, in context of the appointment of Sona Sotomayor as the first Hispanic woman to the United States Supreme Court. Um, it's a very appropriate topic, a very meaningful topic, and kind of brings out gender, class, law, um, all the relevant topics to her appointment. Um, so we felt that this was definitely a discussion. We're glad so many students came out uh, to enjoy the discussion as well. Uh, before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and introduce, allow my panelists actually to introduce themselves. Some of you may be familiar with them, some of you may not. So we'll just go ahead and start down here with Arlene. Yes, thank you. I'm Arlene Delapaz Kane of the ASHE program uh, under Multicultural Student Affairs. My name is Delwin Jones. I'm a assistant professor of communications. Uh, I'm your moderator, Ronnie Anderson, coordinator of Multicultural Student Affairs. My name is Lee Cohen, and I teach Spanish. My name is Kevin Evertel, and I'm instructor of political science. My name is Amy Williamson, and I'm instructor of psychology. Hi, and I'm uh, Ricky Cobb, instructor of sociology. We're going to go ahead and open up the panel. Um, we're going to also have room for audience question and answer. So as, as the discussion uh, continues, make sure if you have any thoughts, any comments, or questions for our panelists, um, make sure you keep those in mind or write those down, and we'll be sure to get to those. Um, as we kind of open up the panel discussion as far as the, the, some of the main points of the panel, one of the things that came out um, in her appointment was that there was a conservative view that because she is a Latina that she was being somehow protected um, by Democrats and by the left wing. Any panelists want to jump in on who disagrees or agrees with that view? Well, may have been, and particularly for people in, in Illinois, is because uh, we have a rather large um, uh, democratic <laughs> group of Hispanics here in Illinois, as it is largely in California, in Texas, in Florida. Um, and so it may have been that, and the perception of, of individuals in other states where maybe the Hispanic population is not so large. That's just one perspective. I think uh, some conservatives were a little bit concerned um, with not voting for her confirmation or attacking her too strongly um, because of voting politics that uh, in, in the last several elections, a, a, a very important voting block is the Hispanic voting block. Um, Republicans had made inroads in the 2000 and 2004 elections, and I think there was an assumption if they were too critical uh, during the confirmation hearing that this could be uh, hurtful for their uh, chances of uh, winning over the constituency as a, as a voting block. Um, but I think actually during the confirmation uh, hearing there, there was some 
opposition, and there were some tough questions, and um, um, people definitely shared their views and, and concerns that um, she may have been what Obama described as an empathetic uh, Supreme Court justice and that she could let her, her background or experiences or heritage somehow influence her decision-making. I think many of the conservatives or the Republicans were, were sure to question her on that. During... Um her nomination, obviously the, the major controversy was over the wise Latina comment. Um, what the what her actual quote was, was, I would hope that a wise Latina woman with the richness of her experiences would more often than not reach a better conclusion than a white male who hasn't lived that life. That comment obviously started a lot of controversy, could take a lot of different ways. I just asked my, asked my panelists, was this a racist comment? politically incorrect or do you in fact think it was neither uh, I think on the surface you can look at it and uh, come to some conclusions but um, those who kind of understand where she was coming from um, she I believe she was making an effort to kind of explain a condition uh, a background in which she had come up that there are certain disadvantages, there are certain things that would happen that had happened in her life that makes gives her a better opportunity to understand someone who is perhaps in trouble. Uh, a white male may not have that same perspective. Uh, that's how I took it originally, uh, was that she has certain experiences and someone with a uh, Latino background would be better able to understand someone in that situation as well. So that's how I took it. But I can understand maybe it could have been worded differently. Um, and I think she kind of admitted to so that it could have been worded differently. But I didn't see her as making a racist stance. Uh, and, but I can understand what some people have uh, looked at it that way. I agree. I don't think it was a racist comment, but I think it was pretty bold of her to make that comment um, because it's really kind of putting out there something uh, that – I think is assumed, which is that people of color, women, somebody with a minority status lacks the objectivity that a man has. And that seems to be a common idea um, that somehow if one is Hispanic or a female or gay or lesbian or any of those other kind of minority groups, that they then have an agenda uh, because of the fact that they belong to that group, rather than looking at it as um, this is how it is. Everyone brings with them their background when they have to make decisions, um, even if you're a Supreme Court justice, that the Caucasian men bring their background with them as well. And we have to look at that. And um, I would say that her background as a Puerto Rican uh, woman could be quite different from that uh, of a Mexican woman, uh, someone of, of my heritage, where by the Mexican culture, one of the subgroups, one of the subgroups of the ethnicity of Hispanics, we are, we are not a race, we are an ethnic group, uh, is that um, Mexican-Americans tend to be more passive, uh, whereby 
individuals of other Hispanic subgroups, in particular Puerto Ricans, I would say personally that they tend to be a little bit more outspoken. So having read that comment, heard that comment, I just wasn't surprised. I just want to comment on the the wise Latina uh, statement that Sotomayor made. Um, I think when we look um, throughout history, uh, if we look at the world, um, we tend to associate uh, the white race as the superior race, and we've always looked at it that way. Uh, whether it's in the United States, we've, all, we've always had a white president. Um, England, we associate the white race. Uh, even in Latin American countries, if you think about Latin American presidents, or even if you look at uh, the Latin American race, there are obviously three types of uh, Latin Americans. Um, and in Spanish, we call them mestizos, which are indigenous and European. Uh, we call them mulatos, which are um, indigenous and, no, I'm sorry, African and white or European. And then we have sambos, which are indigenous and African. And the superior one out of all of them is obviously the, the white Latin American, just like uh, in the United States. Black has always been inferior. Brown has always been inferior. And so I think when people of color uh, take a superior role as far as, you know, Sotomayor, it's like once they get into that, to that role, we as people of color tend to uh, uh, declare it. In other words, she says she's wise Latina. And what she's essentially saying is, I am someone of color who has made it to this level. And I'm not sure if she's uh, boasting, if she's trying to get this, uh, this cultural image across, but I think um, just, you know, President Obama, uh, when we look at him, we associate him with the black community. Just like Sotomayor, we associate her with the, the Latin American community. And so I think her wise Latina comment um, Personally speaking, I think it's fair. I think uh, if we look throughout, if we look at history, you know, around the world, it's always been, uh, you know, the, the the white, the Caucasian race is superior, and, and and that's been okay for a long time. But obviously, different cultures are emerging, different cultures are uh, creating new cultures, uh, and for someone to say it's it's wrong to say it's wise Latina, I would say it's a uh, it's different. Mm -hmm. I, I think also you have to understand. Someone in this position who's being put up for such a high position, everything that you've ever said publicly is going to be dissected, particularly by people who have a different viewpoint. So, you know, I, I would hate to think, uh, you know, if people went back through my life looking for everything I've said that could possibly be taken, you know, in a negative way or, or, or whatnot. Um, and I think, too, you know, you also have to realize, uh, you know, uh, what uh, Professor Rincon says. You, you need to understand this, this lady's background. Uh, she's the third female justice in the history of the Supreme Court. We're talking over 100. I think she's the 111th uh, Supreme Court justice in the history of our country. The third woman, which is historic in its own right, and she's the first Hispanic. So she's uh, a pioneer on more than one level. And when you look at her background, she lost her dad at the age of nine. She was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of eight. Uh, I think she's probably gone through her, her life uh, disproving a lot of other people's notions about 
uh, who she is on the basis of her gender or on the basis of her ethnicity. So, you know, I think that, uh, as someone mentioned earlier, she characterized that during the confirmation hearings as a rhetorical flourish that fell flat. I think that, you know, she might have liked to have chosen her words differently or have had it back at the time when she saw what people were making out of it. But I think that there's... Uh, uh, a lot of uh, a positive message that she was trying to impart when she said that to try and inspire others to do what she has done and uh, you know she's the third female justice and hopefully far from the last she's the first Hispanic Supreme Court justice and hopefully far from the last and uh, I think that you know she probably sees uh, her legacy as being someone who uh, can lift others up to aspire to what she's accomplished um, I just wanted to add something else. Also, um, being a, a second generation here um, in the United States, however, being from Puerto Rico, and that is inclusive, but on the mainland, I, I think that um, the Anglo community overall um, has some difficulty understanding the differences of Hispanics in their, within their generation. Uh, also, um, in regards to their education, uh, there seems to be this kind of an automatic response when someone says that they are Hispanic or they are Latino or Latina. I know when I arrived here, some today very good friends of mine, the questions were, uh, were you born in Mexico? And that you know, seemed to be a natural question for uh, this woman to ask, being that I used my uh, Mexican last name. And uh, I think that's probably the larger problem when they uh, um, hear or name someone who is non-Hispanic, and that kind of all goes through their heads. How educated is she? What does she know? You know, before even um, you know, uh, responding to that she does have the credentials to be where she's at. Can I just add one more comment? And just a little bit more context to, to Ricky's uh, comment. This uh, statement that she made was really a playoff of Sandra Day O'Connor often would say that a wise old woman would make a similar decision as a wise old man. And she happened, the, the statement that she gave was at a conference titled Rising the Bar, Latino and Latina Presence in the Judiciary and Struggles for Representation. So I think she was speaking to her audience and Again, Ricky said this already, but she was on the court for 17 years, federal courts for 17 years. She heard over 3,000 cases, and to have this statement be the, the focus of her judicial confirmation, I think, um, to, to put it into context, I think this, again, it comes back to Obama's statement that he was looking for a judge that had empathy, and I think there was conservatives who were concerned that there would be a new Supreme Court justice who would have a judicial activist approach that would somehow interpret decisions based on their personal experience and history and not read the, the true letter of the law. But again, a little bit more context. This isn't the first Supreme Court justice who has had comments like this. Uh, one of President Bush's nominees, Samuel, Samuel Alito, uh, had said that, I have to think about people in my own family who suffer discrimination because of their ethnic background or because of religion or because of gender. Uh, but yet this wasn't obviously much of a focus in the media, wasn't much of a discussion. Um, so I think, that, uh, I think that statement, I don't want to say whether or not it was racist. I just think it was overplayed in the media and there's a little too much focus on it. Piggybacking off... Um 
her being empathetic. At a press conference during her appointment, she said she understood the real world consequences. For some people, this for some people this is a concern because it means she could not apply the law as it's written. And I guess my question would be is. Is empathy a negative characteristic for a Supreme Court justice to have? I say no. Um, I think that, yeah, and, and I really believe that she was coming from a point of view where she felt like she under she can understand the common folk. Uh, she's also kind of going back on what uh, Lee was saying. Uh, you know, there have been some accusations that perhaps she wasn't as as bright as she should be, that she wasn't as intelligent. <clears throat> In spite of all her accomplishments and her successful background, there were people who were attacking her and saying that she uh, did not express herself in oral arguments very effectively sometimes. And so she has all of that stuff, all that experience, all that background that she was rising to the top that she had to deal with. Uh, I think that comment came from that. And she was trying to show that she had some empathy that maybe someone else uh, perhaps would not have being in the majority. Uh, a white male would not have the same type of empathy, not in all cases, but in many cases, as a Latino woman would have. She has a different perspective, which brings diversity to the Supreme Court, and I think that's a good thing, and I do think that comment was just, I mean, something that we just, people, some people took and ran with it. So I don't think it was a racist comment, and empathy is a good thing. I agree, uh, Dylan. I, I think empathy is a good thing, but I think part of the issue is that empathy has been gendered more of a female trait and that somehow um, that, that it's negative because of that. And I think we have to look at the fact that empathy is, is a good thing. It means that I can put myself in your shoes, that I can understand what it's like to have the experiences that you're having. And I believe that compassion derives from empathy, and we want people who are going to be, at least in my own humble opinion, we want people who are going to be compassionate in interpreting the law. And empathy does not mean that one cannot be objective. And I think that's what kind of what they're driving at, is that somehow if I'm empathetic, I can't be objective and I can't make a good decision, which is not the case. Yeah, and I, and I would just also add that uh, you know there have been studies that have been done as as uh, Kevin says she has a she has a long history of decisions that you can look at. There's a there's a body of work there that certainly should far outweigh one comment that someone makes. Uh, that it's debatable whether or not the comment is even offensive. Personally, I don't find uh, the wise Latina remark offensive at all. But uh, you know, if you look at the discrimination cases that have been brought before her from the bench, uh, over 90% of the time, I believe, uh, they've been rejected, uh, which is uh, uh, around the average for all uh, judges in a similar capacity. And some uh, places I've read, maybe even uh, uh, she's rejected more than average. So her, her record uh, from the bench does not indicate that there's any sort of bias there, it's empathetic, uh, I'm going to go against the precedent of law because I feel sorry for you or whatever. And that's sort of the, the, the thing that we're hearing is that people are concerned that she's apparently just going to disregard the law and just do whatever uh, feels right to her. And there's just absolutely no basis for that in, in her record. And uh, just to add one more thing that just 
popped up when I, I read that is uh, I associate empathy and compassion with the best of the Hispanic culture and, and I believe she was speaking from the heart and speaking very naturally and um, just recently I took a group of students down to a um, Hispanic uh, leadership event downtown and uh, we had the privilege of uh, listening to uh, Hispanic leaders one of them being a uh, formal, uh, former colonel and um, she told her life story quite amusingly but one of the things she said about Mexicans about Hispanics being notoriously late uh, for <laughs> events that that people seem to kind of mark us with. And she says, you know why we're late? We're late because uh, we stopped to help this uh, blind man across the street. And she was referring to her own life experiences. And, and I thought that was a very true you know, comment for, for her to make because in my life, that's why I'm late, always helping people and putting out the better hand. One more comment on, that I'd like to make on this would be, I think when Obama said empathy, he really meant that he wanted a judge who would understand the implications of the decisions that they make. And again, this is not new, although Obama's a, a liberal, a Democrat, uh, one of the more conservative judges on the Supreme Court. Uh, Clarence Thomas, during his confirmation hearing, specifically said, and I quote, I can walk in the shoes of the people who are affected by what the court does. He was talking about um, his ancestors and so forth and understanding the implications of decisions that the court makes. Uh, we, we could probably create some sort of a computer model to, to, to make these decisions that the Supreme Court makes, but obviously we put this into the hands of human beings, and human beings are going to have uh, some of their past experiences and, and uh, come up in, in the way that they make decisions. So obviously it's going to be empathy or their personality or past experiences are going to bleed into their decision making. Okay, great. Before we get to the next question, I'm going to give the audience uh, a chance if you guys have any questions or comments, you'd like the panel to respond. Uh, raise your hand, feel free to stand, and um, we'll get to you back there. question was, does the Sotomayor's appointment uh, signify that the American dream still does exist? I think so. Based on her upbringing in a very impoverished area of uh, the Bronx, she admittedly uh, did not have the best SAT scores to get into Princeton. She was uh, admitted in part through affirmative action, and she turned out to be the best student in her graduating class, had the, the highest graduating honors, and she worked very, very hard while in school, went on to graduate school and to get her law degree, and has always been known as somebody who has a very, very strong work ethic and I think her success is a byproduct of, of, of how hard she's worked, and she's deserved it. My concern is that 
she was at the top of her class, and I, I'm not sure if that's if if that signifies that if you work hard that you're going to make it. Uh, there are a lot of people who work hard and, and don't make it, and because of their ethnic background, sometimes. I mean, she graduated at the top of her class, and people were still questioning whether she was intelligent, uh, whether she had the ability to make good decisions on 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 the court, and her background was more impressive than the majority of the Supreme Court justices that are there now. Uh, but yes, she's still being questioned. She swam through and she made it. But there are a number of people who aren't going to make it. Uh, I think this country has come a long way and, there, and, and I'm, I'm impressed with some changes that have happened. Uh, Barack Obama became president. Uh, he just was not voted. Uh, African Americans were not the only ones that voted for him. Uh, a number of people voted for him. And so that shows some change. But we're nowhere close to where we need to be. There are a lot of people who are still working hard, trying hard, and don't have the same opportunities. That's where I see it. I just wanted to clarify this young man's question. Were you talking about the DREAM Act? You were talking about young adults. Okay. Okay. Just want to clarify that. I think this is an interesting question. Now, first of all, I guess my question is: is uh, the American dream 50 years ago, 100 years ago, versus the American dream today? I guess my question to you is: what, what do you consider the American dream? Is it uh, is it a, is it a, a, a full-time job, a house? Insurance and a family? Is that what you consider the American? What I consider, what I consider like the American dream right now basically is like uh, kind of like Sotomayor's path to the Supreme Court justice. Some, somebody that like just strive and like try to work hard to accomplish all her goals that she had in mind. Mm-hmm. Coming from almost nothing, you know, living with a single mom, her having to take care of like a lot of things when she was younger, you know. Mm-hmm. Not, like, not, every, not everybody goes through all these hardships in life to and accomplish it. I guess my response is this. Um, I grew up in a divorced family. Well, first of all, I'm Mexican-American. My grandparents were born in Mexico. Uh, my parents were born in, in Texas. Um, I grew up and my family was, I come from a divorced family. Uh, my mother was on welfare. My dad used to work in the fields. Um, and I never um, searched for a, a Hispanic figure and said, uh, because... Uh, Jose Villalobos did it, I can do it. I looked at my teacher, for example, uh, Patricia Peters. She wasn't a Mexican. She wasn't Hispanic. But I looked at her and said, that is her role. That's the role I want. I didn't take, in, I didn't take into account race. I didn't take into account a gender. I just saw someone that had passion for something, and that's what I wanted. So... Mm-hmm. 
Right, and, per and perhaps, uh, you know, some of my uh, Spanish-speaking students in my classes, uh, I have several, and perhaps they look at me as a role model and they say, you know, he's a Mexican-American, perhaps I can be a Spanish teacher one day, just like him. But I think as soon as we start uh, labeling people as, you know, Mexican and black and Chinese and, you know, because this Chinese did it and because this black person did it, I think we as a nation, uh, we start to divide ourselves, you know. We have a, a Puerto Rican, and someone asked, me the com or someone asked me the question, how did you feel when you found out a Puerto Rican uh, became part of the Supreme Court? And my first response was uh, it gave a voice to, to, to Puerto Ricans in the Supreme Court. But then I said my other perception is, Again, as soon as we start saying, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Mexican, I'm black, I'm Chinese, I'm an American, it just, I think it divides us more than, more than it uh, unites us. Yeah, it creates diversity, that's true, but as soon as we start labeling ourselves as that, we, we start dividing ourselves. When can we look at somebody and say, that's Delwyn Jones? When can someone look at me and say, that's Lee, that, and, and not look at the, at the Mexican, I guess? Well, you know... My take on it, you know, I like to try to, and I, I, in a personal class, I talk about, you know, keeping it real. And, uh, you know, I, I like that. I mean, I like the idea that we do have differences amongst ourselves. Uh, and I think that's okay. You know, you have someone who is, a, you know, has, who is Puerto Rican. You have someone who is Mexican. You have someone who is African American. You have, we, we, we are different, male, female. Uh, I was born in 1926. Uh, a long time ago, my mindset is going to be different from Lee's uh, mindset. So we have different ideas. To me, to be able to celebrate those ideas, is that's okay. Um, the, the, the problem is when we let those differences divide us. I agree with Lee on that, on that regard. Uh, I think that she is an inspiration. That is, to me, that's different than saying that she has open the doors for everyone to be able to go through. I do think she's an inspiration. I think Barack Obama is an inspiration uh, to a, a lot of young African-American men who never, ever saw themselves as ever having a chance to be there. And I can see um, Sotomayor being that same type of, of person that can create uh, some inspiration. Uh, but opening the doors, I'm not necessarily sure that's the case. Uh, so... Good. Good. Does anybody else have a question before we continue on? Anybody else with a question or a comment? Yes, sir. They all make their decisions based on their personal beliefs. And my only issue is that when because she uh, is Latina, that now is going to be, you know, they're paying closer attention to that. But every single one of those Supreme Court judges use their personal beliefs in interpreting what the law should be. Uh, she's no different, but she is going to use her personal beliefs, and that's not necessarily a, a bad idea. Uh, maybe the, the political science guy down there straightened me out, but... <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, she said during her confirmation hearing she's going to let the, the law, the, she's going to apply the law to the facts at hand. And, again, she's, she's made decisions in over 3,000 cases, and there's, there's been no evidence that she's 
uh, interpreted these any of those decisions in a very broad or judicial activist way. And so I don't, you know, 17 years experience, she's got more experience than anybody who's been appointed to the Supreme Court in the last 100 years. And I don't expect her to, to drastically change in uh, the near future. Can I ask you a question? Uh, would you would you agree with that statement that her personal beliefs will be a part of her decision making? Well, I, I think I even said earlier that, of course, your per, your past experiences uh, and your identity in some way influence your decision making. But the law of the you know the the facts at hand and applying the law and interpreting the Constitution as it's as it's specifically written is the guiding force. But I think subconsciously or even sometimes consciously, there's always going to be a little bit of your personal experiences bleeding in. You know, I, I think there was a recent case with a 13-year-old girl, uh, strip search, going into a public school. I think they thought she had pills of some kind. And it was pretty clear, you know, a lot of people made comments that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, being a female, had had a different approach to this case and understanding um, the, uh, how humiliating that would be as a female to, to, to subject to, to, to moving your, your skin to, to, to be able to subject yourself to the search. I think it's clear that in, in her case she may have viewed this case slightly differently than maybe I would have based on her personal experiences. But the law of the land was still applied, and that's the, I think, the guiding principle that, that most Supreme Court justices are going to have. Okay, thank you. Um, one of the things that came up um, in our sort of pre-panel meetings was Sotomayor's story versus her present. And it's, it's documented Puerto Rican descent from the Bronx. But if you look at her academic and professional career, it's been a life of privilege. She's gone to the best schools in the Ivy League. She's worked at some of the highest places of authority in the country. And does her present background, does that create almost a disconnect between her and the quote-unquote average Latina or the average Latino? Because she has, for the majority of her life, despite her background, lived a pretty life, a life of privilege with the best books, the best resources, um, and, and some of the power that she now has, and does that create a, a, a possible disconnect? I don't think at all. I mean, that's the difference between a, a modern Latina and someone who is a, a recent immigrant, someone who has had those very, very humble beginnings that she has had and not grown any further. Uh, that um, is what I would say as a Hispanic woman that we are most proud of. Uh, when we have someone such as she is with such an accomplishment out there in the press, everywhere, and in a position that is for life, that says a, a, a lot to me. That speaks of the modern Hispanic woman. That is what I alluded to before is that there's seems to be such great confusion with non-Hispanics uh, as to uh, the education of Latinos and Latinas that we are well-educated and we do arrive. I would 
I would also like to add to that. I think that um, this idea that because she's been in, in these schools and she's had this kind of privileged educational experience that she's lost touch with her roots. I mean, I, I think that's definitely a possibility, but the fact remains that as a Latina, she's had to make accommodations to function in a, in a primarily Caucasian environment. And I'm sure that she's aware of those. I know um, for myself, being half Puerto Rican, when I go back to um, certain parts of my family, I behave in a very different way than I might behave as a professor of psychology, that you know, you're able to switch back and forth between the different worlds that you inhabit. And I would say that she has definitely um, shown that she's able to do that with some of the speeches that she's made to the various groups. There has to be some disconnect, a little bit. I mean, um, it's like when I went away to college, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. And, you know, uh, growing up, you know, I had a friend named, you know, Mookie. And, uh, you know, we used to play with rockets and, you know, have a good time and all that. And, and I went, and he didn't go to college. He stayed in the neighborhood. And I went away to college. I couldn't wait to see my man Mookie. I went back. And Mookie looked different. You know, he had a he had a different look in his eye. You know, he was probably the same person, but I've had some different experiences. And although I was still able to relate to Mookie and we talked, it was just, there was a difference. Maybe I didn't, although I grew up in the same neighborhood, we played with the same rockets, my experience was just different. And Mookie looked different. The way he looked at the world was different than the way I looked at the world. So did I truly still understand Mookie? Uh, that's the question at hand. I think there has to be some disconnect. Even if I use the same lingo when I went back, what's up, Mookie? What's it hanging, Mookie? What's going on, Mookie? There was a difference. So, I, we're, we're, I'm sorry. I just wanted to add, but I think you still embraced Mookie. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Because whether or not, you know, there is a, a disconnect because you've grown apart, because you are educated, I feel that in my case, I, I go back to my old neighborhood on the south side of Chicago, which was one of the, uh, it may have been the first neighborhood in 1921 where the first families came and um, resided who had been on the road as my family had been in Minnesota and Indiana um, uh, picking beets and what a wonderful rich life it was there has never been a story that my father has told me about those beet picking days that he didn't like and so that life of what he's told me I embrace that life as, as much as I embrace those individuals that never left the neighborhood when I go back. They, they are my heart. They are my root. And uh, my job is to bring them up or people like them. I, you know, I would just like to say that I think a lot of the questions that we're asking about her, uh, I think it speaks quite a bit to white privilege in our society. She's kind of between a rock and a hard place in some of the potential criticisms that she's getting. On the one hand, is she going to be too empathetic? All she's going to want to do is worry about uh, the other uh, Hispanics or Latina uh, you know, women or, or whatever. And then on the other hand, we're saying, well, 
you know, maybe she's out of touch. She's, you know, she's been in the, the ivy-colored, uh, ivy-covered walls of the, you know, uh, highest academic institutions, and so now she's, she's forgotten her roots or whatever. And it's kind of like you can't win, you know. And these, are, these aren't questions that we ever ask about white people in our society, you know. It's like the, somebody, and it's not to say, you know, as Kevin notes too, you know, Anybody that is going up for a position like Supreme Court justice is going to get grilled. I mean, they're going to get roasted by the other side, no matter what your race, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your gender. But there's certain kinds of questions that white folks don't have to answer in our society that African-Americans do, that Hispanics do, that Arabs do, that Asians do, and so on and so forth. You know, And so a lot of these questions that we have about her, I don't want to say that you know, necessarily that they're misplaced because I understand that people have their curiosities and sometimes people have questions about things that they're unfamiliar with and it's good to get that out on the table and talk about it. But at the same time, you know, I think it distracts us, you know, from what the question should really be about and, you know, we need to understand that what she's going to do, she's going to do not because she's a woman, not because she's Hispanic, you know, any more than we would say, well, what's this, you know, what's uh, Roberts or uh, Alito or uh, Scalia going to do because they're male or, or because they're white or what have you? Good. We've got time to give an audience a chance to ask a question, question or comment from the audience. Yes, ma'am. I think it's important to, to remember that when we're talking about um, the fact that somebody is Hispanic or Asian, part of the reason we're even talking about Sotomayor today is because of the fact that it is unusual and it's something that doesn't always happen. And so when somebody white becomes the Supreme Court Justice, or some, it's just kind of par for the course. We don't look at it as anything special and therefore we don't have as many questions about it. So I think part of the reason that we're talking so much about this, which and I think it's good, is that we are kind of reinforcing the fact that differences do exist. It's okay to talk about um, the things that make us different. And I'm from a different generation than Lee as well, so maybe I have a little bit different perspective on this. But when I heard that Sotomayor was elected, I felt um, some pride in that. I felt that it was important that it be known that she was Puerto Rican because for a long time growing up, I remember um, being told to kind of play that down and hide that and emphasize, you know, being white and people will like you more if you, you know, kind of emphasize that side of yourself and I'll get more 
privileges and get more um, of the kind of social capital if I emphasize that. And so I think it's important that now we're able to embrace that that side of ourselves, the ethnicities, the differences, but at the same time um, that we're able to acknowledge that we're still the same. I mean, we're still all human. We still, you know, share a lot of the same kinds of fundamental needs and desires and things like that. Um, going back to generational differences, and I would tend to agree. I mean, Lee, how old are you, Lee? <laughs> 22? I don't know. <laughs> Coming from a, a different uh, generation, it, not necessarily for myself, but uh, Hispanics that I do know, they may take uh, uh, this as a personal reflection upon themselves if she doesn't do well. So, I mean, that could be a ramification. But again, it can may only be attributed to uh, certain generations. Um, I know I uh, heard comments when um, Governor Richardson from New Mexico um, had been accused of what would he was accused of, and it it did feel like it reflected badly on Mexican Americans, me being one. I maybe not would not feel so much about Sotomayor because there are distinctions, as I feel, between the uh, Hispanic subgroups, but. It could very well be that, that you want to hold your head up so high and this person that is representing you makes a mistake, that is going to reflect badly on the culture. I think a similar question was asked when uh, we had this uh, panel, a similar panel last year uh, about the meaning of the Obama presidency. And I think everybody sees these in different ways, obviously, by, based on the comments. But... Uh, I see it as the best person being, I, I'm sure that there was a consideration that there had yet to been, out of 110 Supreme Court justices, a Hispanic person on the Supreme Court. That being said, it was clear she was, a, she was the most qualified for the position. She was nominated because she was, she was the best candidate for the job, in my opinion. She had 17 years experience, uh, and that, again, no one else had had that uh, in the last 100 years. So I see it as somebody who is the, the best person for the position. Oh, she's my romance. It's gonna be the best. 
going back to what Delwyn talked about earlier. About Basically, what the young man was saying was that um, education is kind of the ultimate equalizer, and that we talk about the differences between different ethnicities, different races, but through education you can overcome, come overcome not only those differences, but whatever background you came from, socioeconomic. So that was a very, very prevalent point. I, I was just going to add to what Delwin said. You know, he said uh, we talked about, or he talked about the disconnection when you go back to to your neighborhood or to, you know, uh, your hometown or wherever. Um, I know when I go back to my hometown, uh, I don't feel disconnected. I feel like uh, the people in my hometown are disconnected because I see both sides of the fence. I grew up where they grew up, and then I went to good schools, and I got to see the other side of the fence. When all of you graduate and become, you know, doctors, teachers, uh whatever go back to your hometown and you'll you'll feel it um you know i can still go back to my hometown and eat with a tortilla right i can go to a really nice restaurant and eat with three forks but people in my hometown who have never been in a restaurant with three forks they don't know how to react right they see three forks and they panic right <laughs> I thought you only got two for us. You get three. <laughs> this is a really nice I think it's, I actually agree with the gentleman before just made a comment um, that education is key, but I think it's dangerous. Um, it, sometimes we, get, we can be tricked into believing that race does not matter. Uh, and, and, and to me, race still matters. Um, and that, that doesn't necessarily always have to be a bad thing. Um, I saw it as a celebration of her... Her, her her background of her ethnicity uh, I thought it as a as a good thing uh, that is something that is that was a great accomplishment now when it overshadows her accomplishments uh, that becomes a problem but race still matters uh, there statistics prove that that's not just my uh, beliefs statistics show that there's you're going to have a different salary based on your um, ethnic background. You're going to have a different salary um, whether you're male or a female. 
Uh, if you're a female at the same job, you're still not going to have the same salary. Sometimes when you lose the reality of the situation, uh, that's when you end up getting confused and getting hurt. And then you wake up one morning and say, wow, it does matter. And then you're frustrated. Uh, you have to understand there are some obstacles that are going to be in your way still today. You may not see them. They may not be as blatant as they once were, but they're still there. And then you're better able to deal with those obstacles uh, when they do come. So I do think that race still matters. Uh, I'm hoping that we can celebrate her background and not let that overshadow the accomplishments that she has made. So, but I don't think that's the reality. It, it, it did overshadow. I agree with you. But um, that's the reality. It's part of what's going on. There has to be somebody that totally thinks that this was, uh, no, I mean, the other side. Somebody has to, in here has to think that there were some racist comments by a sort of, that the, the comment she made was racist, that she's a part of affirmative action. Um, I'm hoping that we're not uh, making it uncomfortable for you to make those statements because that's, to me, that's real discussion. Is anyone thinking that direction? Well, I think the re the reason we had the panel um, originally, obviously, it is Hispanic Heritage Month, but to put this event sort of in historical context and kind of highlight highlight, excuse me, differences. I think one of the things working in multicultural student affairs myself and having worked with students of different ethnicities, different races, is respecting differences and understanding differences, um, and the things that were highlighted during the time of her appointment were based on those differences. The young lady just made the comment that her being Latina almost completely overshadowed her experience and her accomplishments. So a panel like this to get a discussion on race, on gender out in the open highlights those differences and brings to the forefront so that people can understand what those differences are, why do these differences exist, and more importantly going forward what we can do as people to maybe not necessarily say, okay, I, f I believe in everything everybody else does, but to understand where other people are coming from, even if there is disagreement, which, which as Delwin said, is more than welcome. I'd like to add um, one of the reasons that I, that I wanted to be on this panel was because I think that we have uh, very limited images of Hispanic people in the country in general, and so a lot of what we see uh, in the media or in TV and movies is very narrow in terms of the images that we're presented with. And that this allows us to have um, a forum where we can discuss the huge array of possibilities for Hispanic and Latina people. That it's really not just, you know, the, you know, kind of images of people in the barrio or the whatever's going on, that, these, that this real narrow look is what a lot of, um, particularly Caucasian people, that's their experience. And I think by broadening the scope of, uh, Sotomayor has broadened the scope when we think about what can happen, what, what are the possibilities, 
that having this discussion allows us to look at that, that we kind of recast the way Latino people are viewed in society when we have discussions like this. I guess I would add um, that uh, for Latinos or for Hispanics, um, being that uh, characteristically they can be seen as passive and in some research that I have done, um, it has been said that they require a little bit more leadership to be drawn out of this passiveness, to be drawn out, uh, drawn out of, of, of these states where, you know, they are not actively participating in classroom discussions or college activities. You have to have these images somewhere. And so let it be in politics. Hopefully, let those images in, in the movies uh, turn around more. Let it be not the stars themselves that portray um, Hispanic uh, characters in movies, but what they are portraying, what message that they are sending. Uh, and particularly for students, um, in this community at least, we don't have an abundance of, of Hispanic um, uh, well, faculty members <laughs> and, and others, uh, administrative uh, individuals in this college, and uh, I think um, uh, Hispanic students need, need this, and they need to ask for this more often. They need to see themselves in that mirror. All right, I have a, another question. I'm more support for for Kevin. We talked about obviously how gender and race plays into this, but also how this plays for her as an actual Supreme Court judge. Um, she's replacing David Salter, who was a, a liberal judge. Um, there's a lot of assumptions that because she is Latina that she's going to have a, a liberal ideology also as well. Um, Kevin, if you could just talk a little bit about how maybe that assumption is incorrect or or how did this, how what is the truth about how her appointment actually plays as the actual Supreme Court judge. I think it's something I should have brought up earlier, specifically with one of the student questions about how she might interpret the law as a Supreme Court justice. And I think in many ways the implications of her being on the bench might be uh, limited just because of who she's replacing. I think she'll have very similar decisions that David Souter would have had. Now, one thing to keep in mind, David Souter, although I think it's fair to characterize him as a liberal, was appointed by uh, George H.W. Bush, a uh, Republican. And sometimes it's difficult to truly decipher somebody's judicial philosophy. So, for example, she's been on the bench for 17 years, but for some of the real uh, meat and potato type issues, the, the death penalty and abortion and uh, terrorism type cases, she hasn't really had any specific cases that she's ruled on. So in some ways, it's not truly known how liberal or conservative she's going to be as a, as a Supreme Court justice. I think it's fair to say in cases with criminal defendants, uh, immigration, uh, employment discrimination, uh, some of her past cases, she's, she's definitely uh, trended on the liberal side. And I guess to summarize, I'd say that there probably won't be much of a difference. And the 5-4 or 6-3 decisions, I think she'll generally be uh, on the same side that David Souter had on, on the liberal block with uh, John Paul Stevens and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, 
we are going to go ahead. I'm going to let each of my panelists make a a final thought. Um, again, appreciate your attention. Uh, appreciate you coming out during your busy busy work schedules, busy school schedules. Um, as you leave uh, the library, there is a table outside in celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month that also has information on some scholarships that some of you all might be interested in, in uh, maybe wanting to apply to with some other uh, Hispanic artifacts and uh, things that you can look at. Again, thank you for your participation and celebration, and I will let Arlene go ahead. Uh, I don't know quite uh, what to say, but um, simply to be uh, very proud of, of who you are, as you are proud of Sotomayor, if you are, uh, of the Hispanic in the city. I hope that those who are non-Hispanic uh, understand uh, the pride that uh, Hispanic people do have with her appointment. Um, um, also, um, to find pride in yourselves. Um, one of the things that I've heard some people talk about are these very humble beginnings and uh, in their neighborhoods and their strive to get out. And I don't know if I felt that way. I, I, I left. I grew up. My family moved. But I don't regret one minute, one minute of my life in that uh, South Chicago neighborhood. It was very rich. And if any of you have, have read um, Sandro Cisnero's book on, on Mangle Street, that was my street, Burley. I just want to say that uh, her appointment is uh, it's a good thing. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it's a good thing for her. It's a good thing for Puerto Rican. Uh, it's a good thing for uh, our country. And I hope that this is going to be a step forward for us and that uh, – as we continue to progress, that some of these issues and concerns uh, would dissipate. So uh, I'm happy that she is one of the Supreme Court justices. Um, I guess my final thought is uh, it's a beautiful thing, like uh, Delwin mentioned. Um, uh, and I think more importantly, it gives uh, uh, the, Latin, the, the Hispanic community uh, a voice in the Supreme Court. Uh, I hope I'm not plagiarizing here, but I'd just like to echo a couple of the student comments that uh, I think her appointment is really uh, a celebration of the American dream. Her father had, uh, I think, about an eighth grade education, was a laborer, a uh, very difficult economic situation for their family, and, and she used education as a great equalizer, excelled in school, and uh, was the most qualified position for, for the job. And I, I'd like to um, second what, what uh, my, my colleagues have said, but I'd like us to focus on the progress um, that this indicates and the possibilities that we now have. Um, I think that keeping an open mind is really important when we have discussions like this and allowing um, yourself to watch the reaction, watch how these things play out, watch what's happening, and use it as an opportunity to think critically and look at the situation and see what's really going on, you know, what's going on in our, in our country in terms of the way we look at um, different groups of people. Um, in some ways, I don't have a lot to add to what they've said very well. Uh, obviously, we want the best people in our leadership positions, whether it's the judiciary, whether it's the uh, legislative, 
executive. But I do think in general it's nice when our leadership looks like the rest of our society. You know, we're this wonderful, diverse society, and I don't think it's healthy to look at leadership that uh, seems to be so uh, homogeneous sometimes. We need more women in elected positions. Women only make up about 15% of all uh, elected uh, persons in uh, the federal politics. Women are 51% of our population. Uh, again, Barack Obama, the first African-American president, but he was only the third African-American senator in the history of the country, United States senator. So uh, Sotomayor has, is a pioneer. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and I feel positive about it as well. And one other thing that I would like to say is I hope that you know, you'll latch on to some interest in the Supreme Court through this. Don't just forget about it three or four months from now when everybody's used to Sotomayor and the talk about it has died down. The Supreme Court is really, really important uh, in this country. And, and again, I don't know how many people, how many average citizens could name everyone on the Supreme Court. How many average citizens could name more than two or three Supreme Court justices, if that? How many citizens can name many more than just Sotomayor? You know? So take an interest in the Supreme Court. Okay, and follow her, follow her career, and through following her career, you'll follow everything else that's going on, and you'll be a more informed citizen for it. All right. Thank you again for your attendance, um, and enjoy the rest of the Hispanic Carriage Month activities, and have a good day. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.